audio sermons from Peachtree Christian Church. Today's scripture reading is from John 1, 6-8 and 19-28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to them. This is a testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you were neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome. It is joyful to be in worship together today. And as always, it is a privilege um, to preach here and spend time with you. The season of Advent is a time of anticipation and expectation. We look forward to celebrating something that we believe has already happened and is yet to come. We have come to expect the hustle and bustle of Christmas, the insane schedules, meals with family and friends, parties, and of course, the giving of gifts. Twinkle lights, hot chocolate, and a cozy fireplace play on loop in our minds as we wrap up the school semester, or a looming project, or we craft that final email before enabling our away-from-office message. Mm, So sweet. Finally, time to relax. But what are we missing? Ah, yes, let us not forget a very important person as we celebrate Advent and you know who I'm going to name. It is none other than jolly old Saint Nick. Santa Claus. No, no, not the J name you were expecting. You think you know what's coming, but occasionally there's a curveball. Please join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the freedom to worship you together, to pray together, to learn together. 
open our minds and our hearts to your holy truths and give us the spiritual fervor to proclaim the light of the world with boldness and with extreme joy. Bless us as we worship you. Let these words be yours and not mine. And we thank you for the birth of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Last week, Dr. Longbonds preached on the Gospel of Mark, and it's a very similar story to the one that we heard this morning. His message was one of John the Baptist being a waymaker for the good news of Jesus Christ and that God loves and uses those in the margins. And today, we soak in a similar text, but instead of Mark, our scripture comes from the Gospel of John, and it is robust. So robust that focusing on one theme for today's sermon was a challenge for me. I wrote and I deleted and I wrote and I deleted. It's hard to funnel it down. There's a lot in our scripture today. Traditionally, during the season of Advent, each Sunday leading up to Christmas Eve, we grow closer and closer to the retelling of the nativity story. And it may be the case that we function under the idea that a newborn baby with his young parents, wrapped in swaddling cloths, surrounded by barn animals, is the beginning of Christ's story. Until we read or reread scriptures like John chapter 1 this morning. The lectionary this week segments the text and begins in verse 6. But just before that, in our scripture reading today, John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. No manger, no baby. Our story begins much longer ago, before creation, with the light of the world. And our story today picks up with a man sent from God to testify to the light. He testified to it, to bear witness to the coming Messiah so that all may believe through him. Have you ever been a witness on trial? If you have, you understand the gravity of giving a testimony and bearing witness to something. The verbiage in a courtroom can be confusing or stern, or even nerve-wracking. And the expectation for a witness who stands trial is that they will speak with integrity about what they have seen and what they have experienced, what they have witnessed. The expectation is that a witness will tell the truth, the whole truth, and... Nothing like a Jew. John the Baptist isn't on trial here, but the language used in the scripture echoes courtroom jargon. Why? Because John is establishing the truth and displays that he is not a neutral party. He has committed himself to preparing the way of the Messiah by giving testimony to Christ's identity as God in the flesh. Identity is an interesting concept. We spend much of our lives trying to form, understand, and accept our personal identities. 
We hold occupational identities, cultural identities, gender identities, spiritual identities. Mother, teacher, patriot, and so on. Our personal identity is not only affirmed by recognizing who we are, but also intricately defined through who we are not. And this is exactly where we find John in verses 19 through 23. He is asked a simple question by the priests and Levites. Who are you? Who are you? I'll tell you who I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. Theology professor Gilberto Ruiz says this. John's denial is introduced in a redundant fashion. He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed. For emphasis, it underscores the importance of right identification of the Messiah, as is reinforced by John's use of I am not in his response, which contrasts Jesus's messianic use of messianic use of I am statements. In Exodus, this is God's divine name revealed. God says, I am who I am. I am. Jesus claims I am in John 4, verses 25 to 26. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, we will proclaim the thing, he will proclaim these things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. John rejects the notion that he's the prophet or Elijah and simply claims the role of witness. He has seen and he has heard and he has experienced Jesus as the Messiah and continues to prepare the way by calling others to repentance, by calling others to baptism, by calling others into a relationship with Christ. He understands the assignment. Despite his role as a significant figure, he acknowledges the superiority of the one coming after him, stating that he is not worthy to even untie the sandal of the coming one. John's example underscores the importance of humility, and it helps us recognize our own place in the divine plan. When we place undue expectations on God or his messengers, we risk missing the humility required to accept God's will, which may not align with our own. John's clarity about his role emphasizes the importance of recognizing the distinction between the messenger and the divine message. The priests and the Levites' expectations must have just been shattered. They came looking for answers, but I imagine they left with just many more questions. The Jewish people were eagerly awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, a prophesied figure who would deliver and redeem Israel. John's activities and popularity might have led the religious leaders to wonder if he was the anticipated Messiah. And when they learned that he wasn't, they continued to try to identify him 
But okay, so if you're not this or you that, who, who are you? A prophet, Elijah? They need an answer. Humans are curious creatures. We go searching. We want answers because we desire knowledge. We definitely desire control. And we desire understanding. We want to name things and categorize them. And we want to make things make sense. We have expectations for the way things work. We have expectations for how people will act. We have expectations for who is worthy and who is not, and so on, which can make unmet expectations so infuriating. Um, our son, Jeff and my son, is eight years old, and he plays basketball. And their team's pretty good. I mean, I get a little fiery about an eight-year-old's basketball game, I'll tell you right now. But it is fun to watch them play, and they practice hard, and they work as a team. And yesterday, our son's expectation was that they would win their basketball game. Why wouldn't they? They've been practicing hard. They've been working hard. They're playing as a team. Spoiler alert, they lost. <laughs> And he was devastated. He didn't understand. He felt like the refs didn't make fair calls. He even used the phrase, we basically won, which was like, you didn't, you lost. <laughs> That's hard. That's really, really hard. It's an unmet expectation. And we all have those feelings and we all have those experiences. I've worked hard. I've put the time in. I've put the effort in. Unmet expectations can be heartbreaking sometimes. But we not only place these expectations on ourselves and on others, we do this to God as well. And this is exactly what the priests and Levites have done. Their expectation of the Messiah and the preceding messenger is not met in John. Like, would God really send this weirdo in camel's hair eating bugs and honey out in the woods to be a waymaker for Christ Jesus? Would God really use a humble, poor, lowly, young couple from Nazareth to bear a son who would redeem the world? Katie Kirk is a Porter Fellow at St. George's College in Jerusalem when she puts it this way. John the Baptist reminds me that God loves an outlier. God does not reserve all narratives in the story of Jesus for those who are socially acceptable to the elite, those with perfect table manners, and families who taught them to network. In Jesus's story, blessed are the wacky. John the Baptist story teaches us to love our own avant-garde and to look for what they are ushering in. I wonder what we can find to love in the ones who unsettle our norms, the ones on the edges of new ideas, the ones wandering in the wilderness, telling us to prepare the way of the Lord. I had um, a wonderful opportunity this past February to be the keynote speaker at our regional youth assembly where middle school and high school students from all over the state come and they get together and they have a really wonderful weekend at Epworth. Uh, and so I, I got to speak, and I was really honored to do so because I attended this assembly when I was in middle school and high school um, and took wonderful students when I was doing youth ministry. And so 
our, our subject matter and theme was about evangelism and witnessing. And one of the exercises I had the students do was I gave them one minute. I said, you have one minute, partner up with somebody. And I want you to take that minute to tell the other person who Jesus is. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they get in groups and then they share a little bit and it's that Jesus is the son of God and Jesus is this. And it kind of comes out like a checklist of things that we know about Jesus. So we took another minute and I said, for this minute, I want you to get together and I want you to share how you've seen the presence of Christ in your life. Very different answers because our stories are personal and our stories are powerful and it's important that we share them. It makes me ask the question, what are your gifts? How can you use them to bear witness to the light of the world? What story can you tell about the presence of Christ and his power in your life? Whether you define yourself by who you are or who you aren't, there is kingdom work to be done. And we as Christians get to bear witness not only to who Jesus is, but what he has done and what he is yet to do. When you're aware of an incredible gift that is available to everyone, why wouldn't you want to share it? What we say and what we do reveals to others what we believe. What we say and what we do reveals to others what we believe. John was unconcerned with what people thought of him because of the clothes that he wore or the people that he spent time with, but he was brave and he was bold and he took seriously the responsibility to speak the truth into a broken world. He was proclaiming the good news of the gospel to anyone who would listen. And just as John knew, who he was in relation to Christ, we must also realize our identity in Christ. If you are a Christian, you are not just a parent or a child or an entrepreneur or a student or an artist or an American or whatever label you use to define your personal identity. We are above all else, witnesses to God's goodness and God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's love and who Christ is in God and who we are in him. We are redeemed beings who through Christ's sacrifice get to be in a restored relationship with God, which is incredible. And we need redemption because humans fail, humans fall short. And if someone is following us, they are going to be sorely disappointed because we miss the mark a lot. So what do we do? Let's take a lesson from John and always point back to Christ, always, because Christ never fails. Christ never fails. Advent is defined as the arrival of a notable person or thing or event and we celebrate the birth of Christ each year with the anticipation that he will come again. We say it in our liturgy every single week. Christ will come again. 
Are we simply waiting or are we witnessing? God bless you. 